Aviation, before we start today's episode, I want to give a quick shout out to the protein bars that are saving my life while I'm on the road flying. Check the link out below. It's First Form Vegan Protein Bars. They're the best. Check out the link and look out for some Black Friday deals incoming. Episode 248 of the Pie at the Pie podcast takes off now. Fly with Garmin Avionics, then grab your mobile device and make the Garmin Pilot app your cockpit companion. Get advanced functions you'll use before, during, and after every flight, including updating your aircraft's databases and logging engine data, plan, file, fly, log, with Garmin Pilot. Pilot to Pilot is brought to you by the Finer Points. These guys are constantly adding content to the Ground School app. Check it out at learnthefinerpoints.com. This holiday season, purchase a Bose ProFlight Series 2 aviation headset and get a SoundLink Micro Bluetooth speaker for free. The headset features active noise cancellation, tap control, and side-swappable mic for ease, comfort, and reliability. It's the lightest, most compact aviation headset from Bose yet. Take advantage of this special offer between November 20th and December 31st. Order yours at bose.com aviation. Aviation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast in true... Just form. I'm currently driving Emmett to get some shots, so I wish me luck. But we are releasing Captain Moonbeam, the kitchen. I keep saying it, it keeps getting delayed. Like, surprise, surprise. We're hoping construction will be done next week, and then I will be able to get some more recordings out. But Captain Moonbeam is up. Uh, he is a beloved member of the YouTube community and just a great guy. So go ahead and listen to this episode and check him out on YouTube. And I hope you're having a great day. Without any further ado, here's Captain Moonbeam. Hey, Jim, thanks for coming on the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Well, I'm happy to be here. Looking forward to it. Like I said to you earlier, it has been very requested to have you on the show. So I'm really excited. I know my listeners will be very excited to listen to the podcast and hear your story. Well, you know, I'm always so surprised when I hear somebody wants to hear my story. <laughs> right? uh, and I don't know why that is. Maybe that's that's being old school or something yeah. like that. Oh, yeah. there are people out there that want to hear it. So let's let's go ahead and start. Let's dive right into why did you want to become a pilot? Where was the original inspiration? It started when I was either six or seven years old. My dad worked for Delta uh, for a while. He was in reservations and he hated that. And he uh, started working the ramp and then he worked the ramp for the rest of his life. And so as a kid, uh, we were able to get non-rev passes and we traveled to see relatives. And we took a trip. I can't remember where it was, uh, but we were at Memphis International before they'd even built the terminal. Walking out to the airplanes, they all had props, and it was a covered walkway. <laughs> and it was a two-engine Delta Airlines turboprop. I'm guessing maybe it was a DC-4 is what okay. it was. Yeah, and I sat on the wing. I could I could by the window. I could see the prop out there spinning, and I was hooked from the very beginning. And uh, then we continued as kids, you know, flying all over uh, the country uh, when my dad had time off. And uh, we did it on the cheap, you know, stayed at cheap places, stayed with relatives and stuff like that. But I just loved every one of those adventures, one of the, every one of those experiences. And I always wanted to talk to the pilots up front. And back then you could, <laughs> yeah. you know, you walked on board as a kid and said, hey, I want to look at a cockpit. And they're like, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah you want to watch this land? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. And I remember specifically one night as a kid, I told the flight attendant that I wanted to see the cockpit if 
it was okay. And she took me up there and uh, they just opened the door and I went in the cockpit and it was nighttime and all the lights and everything. It was just so incredibly cool. Uh, you know, all that did was reinforce it. But then later in life, uh, when I finally became an adult, I had convinced myself I could not afford to do it. It was too expensive. Right. And it was very expensive. And uh, I eventually got married and had a couple of kids who were living in Memphis. And my in-laws, uh, my father-in-law was a pilot. Oh, and cool. uh, they bought me a introductory flying lesson uh, that I went on. For Christmas, for Christmas, and it was like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm that's it. I came back, you know, I said I want to be a pilot. <laughs> yeah, and, it's uh, like, honey, and, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, flight I school. to relatives about getting money for flight school and all uh, sorts of stuff, and it was stop and start like it is for most people that start older. I was 28, I believe, is how old I was, okay. and uh, it took me probably two years to get my private pilot's license. Yeah. Uh, after that, though, uh, it accelerated a what? little bit, and. Oh, so I was just going to ask, what were you doing before? What were you doing? So you got married. Obviously, you had kind of a career going. What was oh, your original career? I was a, uh, I'm not even sure I should say this, but I will say this. The, <laughs> it kind of leads into it. I yeah. worked in restaurants for a long time. And then I actually was making money uh, going to the racetrack, the uh, Greyhound oh, racetrack no way. in West Memphis. <laughs> I kid you not. Yeah. And uh, we went by to visit my grandmother one day. Uh, and my wife just happened to spill the beans that she said, Oh, you know, how's work going? I said, Oh, it's going fine. She said, Oh, he hasn't worked in months. He's been going to the dog track. And, uh, I was like, Oh my gosh, my life yeah. has ruined the, the family humiliation. And, uh, I went to the mall. Yeah. We were going to the mall to get something. And I walked by a store and there was a sign that said help wanted. And I actually picked up the sign, took the sign with me inside and told them I'm here. I'm the guy you need explained why it was. It was a little software store and uh, they hired me. Uh, I became a manager, an area manager, and I ended up having the highest profit store in the company. Okay. Look at you. And yeah, but this is why this comes into flying. Okay. So at the same time as when I took this flying lesson and I started talking about it a lot and uh, the guy that was in charge of the region and some other people started to get really concerned about what I was going to do. And uh, he came down to talk to me and said, you know, we really worried about what's going on here that you may be leaving us. <laughs> and I said, Oh no, 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 this is just a hobby. It's fun. And uh, it's just something to do on the side, just a little passion here, but I'm not leaving. And uh, he flew back to Pennsylvania. And that night I thought about it. And I called him the next morning. He said, you know, I'm, I'm wrong. I'm giving you my two weeks notice right now. I'm gone. Oh, dang. <laughs> and uh, I ran off to be a pilot, basically, yeah. is what happened. Yeah. How far so, along in that training was that for you? So when did you tell him that you were going to you were gonna leave eventually and just focus on being a pilot? At that point, I had gotten my private pilot. It was right after I had gotten my private pilot's license. Okay, so you couldn't even was, make money off flying then. So you were like, oh, nope. no. Yeah. <laughs> no, which was, I, I always told people, look, don't do what I do. <laughs> I'm not a good example. Me, doesn't mean it was the best choice. Uh, and I was thinking about doing my instrument rating. So right there, I just, I quit and uh, we ended up moving to Huber Springs, Arkansas. I went down to Little Rock to a place called uh, Central Flying Service and ended up getting all my ratings there, ended up working for them. Uh, when I first got all my ratings, 
they wouldn't hire me because <laughs> uh, they didn't need any help. Right. And it was very slow, uh, the industry at that point. There was no hiring whatsoever. So I went to Conway, Arkansas, talked to a guy that had a 150 uh, who wanted to rent it out. I said, look, I'll get the students here if you'll let me instruct in it. And he did. And I started uh, instructing in Conway, Arkansas. I started building a little following at a ground school. And uh, when they saw that I actually had a following, they, they were like, oh, yeah, why don't you? Yeah, you know, we got room for you. Come on over. So I went over there. And uh, like I said, there was zero hiring at that point. And I ended up getting about 2,000 hours instructing. Okay. All my... And I, I got into their charter department at the same time I was doing part-time charter, which was in the uh, Bonanza, the Duchess, uh, King Air 90, King Air 200. Uh -huh. And that's where I started off getting my multi-time, right. turboprop time. Uh, after that, I went to uh, Trans States in St. Louis, flying the Embraer 120. Okay. Uh, eventually, sold, sold off all the 120s. And uh, they wanted everybody to go to New York because they had opened a domicile there. Yeah. And at that point, I went back down to uh, Little Rock uh, because I would I couldn't do that. I had a family of four. Right. I was making fifteen thousand dollars a year. I mean, <laughs> not so worth really, uprooting everyone. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I literally was one of those people uh, that was qualified for food stamps that was flying airplanes with what, thirty passengers. What year was this? What did you say? Ninety-two. It's been a long time. It's just very important for the the pilots that are coming up now to really realize what the industry was like. You know, it's never, this is new. A regional airline pilots making 60, 80 grand. Like this is all new. It's relatively new within the last, to say five years, maybe seven years. So oh, yeah, it's, it's changed. Yeah, I don't think a lot of them appreciate what the past was and they don't understand that just because you're making good money now doesn't mean that it's always going to be like that. Cause as everyone knows, airlines, corporate aviation, especially are all cyclical and things could change very fast, but it's, they need to understand just kind of where it's been in the past. And I've talked to, to past people on the podcast and their regional pilots, like you said, on food stamps, they're sleeping on benches in between layovers because they couldn't, oh, yeah. yeah, they couldn't get a hotel. So it's like, they didn't pay for anything. All you did, you were lucky to fly a regional plane. And a lot of times people flying regional jet had upwards of 2,000, 3,000 hours. They weren't getting hired at 1,500 hours. So it's definitely, uh, times have definitely changed. Oh, yes, yeah, much better now. It was tough. Uh, and one of the things you had to do was you had to sign a $10,000 training contract. Oh, my gosh. Uh, you were liable for that if you left within 12 months. <laughs> but and this is really kind of the, the salt in the wound here of that training contract. Uh, it was to be a first officer on an Embraer 120, mm -hmm. big turboprop, uh, 30 passengers. That's the, the Brazilian, right? Is, that was the Brazilian. Yeah, the Brazilian yeah. yeah. So the problem is, though, if you left, there was nothing you could do with that training. You weren't trained for another operation. You had no type rating that you could use. Oh, you were wow. just a co-pilot in it. Yeah, so it was yeah. for the training. So, uh, yeah, that, that was really, and what they would do is, and this is something that pilots still do today. Uh, and it has some truth to it, but it's also got uh, a hook in it. It's got a pretty barbed hook in it. And yeah. that is, uh, you've got to do this to get to the airlines. You got to yeah. pay your dues. You got to pay your dues, pay your dues. Well, let me tell you, there were a lot of people that had been at trans states for years, yeah. I, I see, but it was the same for all of them. It right. was TW Express uh, that were very depressed and bitter because yeah. 
they couldn't get an airline job. They'd been there for, I don't know how long. Uh, and they had come from another commuter or something like that. And for one reason or another, it, it wasn't happening. And they weren't happy with the situation that they were in. Yeah, but like I said, it's a lot better now. Yeah, it's a lot better now. And like you said, it wasn't just uh, trans states. It was every regional, even corporate departments, corporate departments. It was very common for you to have to pay for your type rating. It wasn't like, right. yeah, it's very new, just like everything else we talked about, that you are getting a free type rating and not even a contract to sign. Like a lot of places don't require a training contract anymore. It is very much a pilot's market. And it's just crazy the changes. The people I talked to, the company I'm at now said when they first came here, they had to pay, it's like you said, they had to pay 10, 15 grand for their type rating, sign a contract that they left and they owed all that money back. It's like, that's crazy. It is. It is. And at the very same time, I had a friend uh, who ended up, I can't remember where he went to, but one of the requirements was that you go through them, their training and get your type rating in a 737 and you pay for it. Mm -hmm. When you finished, there was no guarantee of a job. <laughs> Great. And he was one of the people that no. got type, spent the money and did not get a job. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so I, my, and I know this is not everybody agrees with me, but I would never ever pay uh, for a type rate. Yeah. Because the thing is, either they need you or not. And if they want you to pay for your own type rating, they don't need you bad enough. Yeah. No, definitely. I would agree with that. Let's bring it back. Let's bring it kind of all the way back to your training. So we kind of talked about how you had a software job or you were in sales essentially, right? I was a manager of a store. Manager uh, of a store, all right. It was uh, in a mall and they sold home computers and software. Okay. Computers and software. What was training like while you still had the job? Because you kind of had training with a job and training with no job. So you were able to commit full-time training later. What were the difficulties with, because a lot of students now need to have a part-time job or a job to help pay for their training. So right. talk a little bit about how you kind of managed your time and how you made time for flying while you're working full-time. Well, there's even more to that part of the story <laughs> because, like I said, I had a family of four. I yeah. lived 65 miles north of the airport. Oh my God. Uh, Little Rock, <laughs> where I was doing the training. Uh, so I tried to work some part time jobs at the same time, uh, and it was difficult. Mm -hmm. And then when I got my ratings, I still didn't make that much. I was an instructor. I was only making, I'm thinking maybe. Eight hundred to twelve hundred dollars a month. Dang. Yeah, it, it was not much at all. And when I started doing the charter stuff with them, I made more. You know, so I would say if you can, if you've got the money and you don't have to work, that's great. Just plow into it, go as fast as you can, and get it done. But if you can't and you've got to stop and start, stop and start. That's not the end of the world. You know, it's like. When you go for an interview, they don't say they don't say, oh, yeah, we just noticed it took you three years to get your private pilot's license. Nobody cares. Mm -mm. All they care about is, do you have the basic qualifications of the job? Can you fly the airplane? Can you get along with the rest of the people that are working here? Yeah. That's it. You know, occasionally you find a place that requires a college degree uh, and the airlines tend to the majors tend to mm -hmm. require a college degree. But I guarantee you. If hiring gets bad enough, that requirement goes away. Oh, that doubt. Yeah, it's just a filter is all it is. Yeah, all they care about is just covering the insurance minimums on the time and your ratings. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I got, I, I got on a tangent here. I was going to tell you what else happened. Yeah. Okay, so I, 
I'm working full-time for this company. I live in Heber Springs, Arkansas, 65 miles to the north. One day, one of the instructors decides he wants to get a college degree. He said, hey, you know, we're just sitting around here. Let's drive down to this place, Arkadelphia in southern Arkansas, uh, 65 miles further south. Jeez. Why don't you just go with me? We're going to have students today and check it out. So I go with him. And uh, we take the tour, do the whole thing. And uh, he decides not to do it. And uh, I sign up, drive <laughs> to Memphis the next morning, get all my transcripts because I'd gone to college there, yeah. come back. And so I'm driving now 240 miles round trip oh my on gosh. Tuesday and Thursday while I'm a full-time instructor to get my bachelor's degree. And not and only did, that, I, but you have a family of four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which turned into a family yeah. of five eventually. Oh, geez. You know? So what was, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, just talk about that. So like, what was, how did you balance that? How did you balance family life and kind of school and flight instructing and building time? Cause we all know when you're building time, flying is king. Did you have to sacrifice school for flying or vice versa? I really, in some ways, uh, had to sacrifice, you know, the flying because I didn't manage it very well. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes some opportunities would come up and I just have to say, I, I can't do that. Yeah. You know, so that, slowed me down a little bit, but it didn't stop me because yeah. I was, I was pretty persistent. I kept pushing at it. And, uh, you know, I think I made the right choice. Yeah. Along the way. Uh, definitely. Cause I'm still married and <laughs> a lot of people are not. No. So yeah, obviously you did something right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. What, um, so did you finish your bachelor's in? I got a bachelor of science in aviation. Okay. I started out originally, uh, in microbiology in Memphis, but oh, wow. ended up uh, after three years uh, not finishing up. Yeah. So I transferred credits over and finished in aviation. Okay, nice. Yeah, I have my degree is also in aviation as well. Um, yeah, so talk about uh, check rides and stuff. What were your check rides like? Did you have any issues when you were doing your training at all, or did you fail any check rides? It was pretty smooth sailing. I I failed two check rides. Okay. Uh, the the first one was all my fault. Yeah. And that was my initial multi-engine way back. And what I did, and this is a classic mistake, <laughs> the first takeoff, he pulls that throttle back. And I was ready for it. I mean, I was like a coiled snake ready to strike. <laughs> I was so prepped for this yeah. and hyped up. And I slammed that rudder on top of the good engine. And I slammed it so fast and so hard that plane swung over. And at this point, it's like, what the hell? Which engine was it? You know? <laughs> so oh, no. he said, okay, that's, yeah. that's good. Let's go back. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it was a learning experience. Yeah. And then the next time I calmed down, you know, came in much more smoothly yeah. and a little less rudder. <laughs> yeah. And the, other was years later, and uh, I, I'm not saying this to denigrate anybody that works for the FAA or anything like that. Uh -huh. I had to take, I had this job flying freight in a Cessna 210, and I had to take a check ride with uh -huh. the FAA. Should be the simplest check ride yeah. in the world. Okay, and we're just about done, and we're doing this ILS, and you know, I'm under the hood, so I'm scanning the instruments. And he, what did he do? He pulled something or he flipped the uh, frequency on the localizer. And all of a sudden, my needle 
went, it, it either it went off or it went dead. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what the hell? And I glanced up and saw it was on the wrong frequency. I didn't realize he did this. Yeah. So I popped it back in and it came back. Yeah. yeah naturally. <laughs> so, it's like, what else would yeah, you do? <laughs> that's, that's right. So we're, we're getting close to decision height. You know, I'm like, to, uh, I'm looking at it, scanning it. I'm thinking, okay, 300 feet here. And it doesn't, again, well, this time I just hit it right away. And as soon as I hit it, it said, bust, you're done. Huh. I'm like, what? What the hell? <laughs> Did he want you to go around? What was the, the mindset of that? Well, I'm sure what he wanted me to do was to go missed. That's yeah. what he wanted to do. And uh, I was flying the plane like if I had really flown the airplane. Yeah. And, like, I got uh, cargo. I got to land. So let me put the localizer back on. That works perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. It's yeah. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he said, and this was like right at about decision height that I had gotten. I can't remember what it was. Half scale decision. Uh uh, deflection hmm. right at that point. I don't, I don't think I did. Yeah. And I think what the real issue was that I pissed him off when I started doing that. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Cause were you guys in actual IMC when this was happening too? Oh no, it was VFR. Okay. Was I was about to say, I was like, that'd be a little reckless if he's out there switching localizers, actual IMC. Yeah, but. It, it was definitely, a, it was a check ride. It yeah. Was there were no issues like that whatsoever. Huh. Yeah, that sounds like a, an interesting way for him to want you to go around. It's like, you know, a simple, hey, go around <laughs> would have been yeah, good to see yeah. me execute it. Or, and I've taken, oh, I was just going to say, look, I've taken plenty of rides yeah. with the FAA and uh, gotten along with them every time, haven't had that issue. Yeah, you yeah. know, sometimes people, I don't know, I've, I've heard this and people have also said this is true, but sometimes they have to have a failures. They have to fail people that can't be passing everyone or else that kind of raises red flags. So I don't know if you fell into that kind of space with him, but it definitely sounds like an interesting way to, to go about failing someone on a check ride or in, yeah. conducting a check ride. And it's, uh, yeah, you're right. You know, they look at it as an issue if you haven't failed so many people mm-hmm. because they statistically think that there are going to be so certain percentage of people that right. uh, are not prepared for it and probably should, you know, have to yeah. redo it. Um, but I, I, you know, and the other half of this is I had a check ride uh, with the FAA and uh, it was in a jet and I was going to go take this ride with this guy. The guy called me the night before and said, Hey, I just, wanted to call you and let you know if you want to reschedule this, I totally understand. Mm-hmm. But uh, the FAA, there are a couple of them coming out tomorrow and they're going to be auditing me <laughs> because they think that I'm too easy on people and just giving away check rides. Oh, shoot. <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, that's probably the worst situation yeah. right there. And I said, no, oh, that's no problem. I'm coming. <laughs> you know? Oh, wow. You're a better man than me. <laughs> and, uh, I probably did more on that check ride than any other. Oh, ride. I bet. And uh, I passed the check ride. You know, I did everything that he wanted to. I, then they had some stuff they wanted to see, and there were two of them. And uh, it, it was a pretty intense oral, also, because he was really hammering it. Yeah. And they had a few things they wanted to go over, also. But I got through with it. But then, about two months later, he voluntarily rescinded, rescinded. I mean, he, he voluntarily, uh, turned it in. He was no longer an examiner. Oh, he wow. decided that, uh, I, I don't know what was going on, but that came to an end. Huh. 
So yeah, maybe something with FAA that didn't. I don't know. That's weird. That's, I've never really heard of anyone voluntarily sending their uh, their examiner status. So <laughs> it's a first. Well, I mean, if you look back over the past twenty or thirty years, every now and then they do catch somebody. Yeah. That's doing that kind of stuff. I, I don't know what was going on. Right. Like I, said, I didn't know the details before I got there uh, or what had happened afterwards. Right. Uh, but I was just talking about two check rides that were extremes of what yeah. how they normally do. What was your mentality like after you failed your first check ride where it was the one that you said was actually your fault where you kind of messed up and were at fault? Did you think your career was over after that or did you, were you like, no, that's all right. I get another chance. No, I'll be fine. No, I didn't. Um, but, you know, here's the thing about it also. This is how I've always been. Okay, my career, what part of the career ends? Most people, when they say stuff like that, they're thinking about your career uh, climbing up to the left seat of a 747 with United Airlines or mm-hmm. something. Uh, I I thought, well, if it is, well, that's not ending my life because I enjoy instructing and doing the charter and other stuff I'm doing. Right. You know, so in my opinion, that wasn't a career ender. And it, and it wasn't. You know, like I said, nobody cares, you know, about that. Uh, but afterwards, I mean, there was no question. It was my fault. Mm-hmm. I'm the first one to say that. <laughs> yeah, I can't blame that on anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was just the way it was. Yeah. And so I came back, you know, rescheduled and went through it with a breeze. Yeah. I, it was a learning experience for me. Yeah. Well, when I took my check rides, my examiners, I got lucky. I had good examiners and they always prefaced it with like, Hey, like this is still a learning experience. Like you, you only have a hundred hours, 150, 200 hours, whatever time limit you have. It's like, I mean, if you fail, like it's not the end of the world. I have to do my job at the end of the day. And if I don't think you're able to, to fully operate under this rating that you're going after, like I have to fail you, but use it as a learning experience, build from this. It's like, I can still kind of walk you through what you should have done and we can talk about it later on the ground, what you should have done. And then we'll come back at it tomorrow. So it's definitely a learning experience. Experience. And I think that it is kind of an aura around failing a check ride where it's like, dang, now I'm not going to be a, a 747 pilot for United or what is it, a 787 now that the 747s are gone. But it's like you said, it's like you, there's so many other things you can do. And that's not even true. You could still fly a 787 for United with a failed check ride. I guarantee you there's tons of people at United, Delta, American that have failed check rides yeah. and are still there and flourishing and doing really well. So. I will tell this little story. I've got a friend uh, who spent most of his career flying uh, part 121, Mm -hmm. uh, supplemental freight and stuff like that. Uh, And he told me, I don't know if it's true, you know, whatever, (laughs) but repeating it here, he said, uh, guys like that, uh, that have a bus, they just love to hire them because they know they're not going to go anywhere else. Yeah. (laughs) And, And that's their mentality. I can see that. You know, you got to get over that mentality, yeah. recover and come back strong. Definitely. No, I would agree. I would definitely agree. And yeah, I could see that because they want people to stay at their company forever, no matter what company it is. Even regionals want you to stay there for a while. Right. They don't want to yeah. have to hire new people and spend more money. So if they think yeah. they can hire someone that won't leave, they're definitely going to do that. That's right. And, and people create their own limitations. Right. You know, is what they do. Oh, I love so, that. That's a good point. Yeah. Definitely yeah. a good point. It's like, oh, well, I can't do this because of this. Or I, I've never flown a multi-engine plane, so I only want to fly singles. Or it's like, you know, it's like, no, you can do anything. Like yeah, flying flying is just building upon itself. It's like math. It's like you go to, to pre-calculus and you go to calculus. Like here you start single, then you go to maybe multi-twin, and then you go to a, a turbo, and then you go to a turbine, and then you go to PT6, and you go to the jets. You just kind of build your way up every single time. So you, you don't limit yourself on whatever you can do. Always apply and always go after what you want. 
Yeah, absolutely right. That, yeah. That's what I would say. Yeah. yeah. And speaking yeah. on that, what was kind of, you mentioned a little bit earlier about how you were building time, you were flight instructing, then you got on the charter side. Talk about finding those jobs and what you did to position yourself to get those jobs. Uh, I tell people this all the time, and this kind of really also interlinks with people who haven't even started their training yet. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of a lot of it is people you know. You need to meet people in aviation if you haven't started, or if you're already well along, because the first people that know about jobs are pilots in that area. Mm-hmm. A lot of jobs never make it to job boards and stuff like that because the first thing they do especially for small flight departments is they say hey uh do you know anybody that might be interested uh, since you're leaving us or uh do you know since we're expanding do you guys know any people that you think would fit real well that's how a lot of it happens so uh because of that the general public or some guy in another town would never have any idea that that job was even open for consideration yeah no that's true yeah. And you may, you'll find also with uh, some of the airlines actually having a reference from a pilot in their ranks carries weight also. Yeah. No, it definitely does. I've been told yeah. many times that the major airlines love having references. So do what you got to do to get those friends. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Yeah. Go, go buy a ticket and hang out at the gate and talk to every pilot you can. <laughs> well, absolutely right. And, you know, if you're the kind of person that, uh, just does not get along well with others, Mm -hmm. you're going to have a problem in this industry because uh, relationships are important because you spend a lot of time with these people really close. You know, uh, if if you're a solo act, you're going to have a hard time at this. No, for sure. I mean, a lot of people look into hire someone that's going to do well in a crew environment because like you said, you're going to be stuck with this person sitting next to you for hours Yeah. And if you can't get along with people, then they're going to sniff you out. And the last thing someone wants to do is be stuck with, oh, I'm stuck with this guy again. It's like, don't be that guy. Be the guy that everyone wants to fly with. Well, that's right. Absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, it's it's a small world, especially in aviation, as you well know. Yeah, for sure. And so you network to get these jobs that you got to to build. So what kind of jobs were they? What, uh, What jobs did you first have? Obviously, you said instructing. What came after instructing? Well, uh, I flew charter mm-hmm. and, uh, what planes did you fly? Years. Well, in charter, yeah. gosh, through the years, yeah. because most of my time has been flying charter. Okay. Uh, even though I had a couple of years with the regional, uh, I flew everything from a Bonanza. I'll just run through real Go fast. for it. Yeah. List them. Uh, Bonanza, Duchess, Baron, King Air 90, King Air 200, King Air 350, uh, I flew Citation 500, Ultra, Encore, Bravo, Citation 650, the 3 and the 6, the Citation um, Excel. <laughs> I flew the Citation Mustang, the Citation M2. Uh, I flew... Gosh, I'm trying to think of which ones I'm typed in and which ones I flew charter in. That's crazy. Uh, We're going to have a whole podcast with you just listing all the planes you've flown. It'll probably be an hour. Oh, I know. I mean, I, I was like, I, what, I, what I do is I, I kind of count on my fingers. Yeah. I do. Yeah, and like, I, know I think I'm missing one. Because I left out all the Falcons. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, the Gulf Streams and stuff like that. So you can fly it all. Someone calls you. It's like, yeah, let's go. 
<laughs> I can't fly them all. Yeah. But, uh, I'm definitely willing to try. Yeah. They need you, you know, for the space uh, shuttle. You're the guy to call. <laughs> oh, that is so fun. You're not going to believe this. Oh my gosh. What did I start? <laughs> what happened? One of the guys I used to fly with, one of my buddies, uh, actually uh, flew the space shuttle simulator. They were doing a study on. Uh, their their crews getting mm-hmm. nausea and how that affected their ability to fly the shuttle. Mm-hmm. So they were bringing in professional pilots and they would put these electrodes at the base of their head and uh, give them shocks while they were trying to do an ILS in the shuttle simulator. Oh, geez. And, oh, yeah. yeah. yeah they, would, <laughs> it was, they were mild, but it would yeah. induce vertigo. Is what, nausea is what it would do. Oh, wow. And they were doing a study. Uh, how to reduce it. So this friend of mine would always say, yeah, I flew the shuttle. I flew the shuttle. <laughs> <laughs> I flew the shuttle and I was getting shocked, electrically shocked by the government. That's right. That's <laughs> like that song, Shock the Monkey. That's hilarious. <laughs> Let's take a break from today's episode to hear from our sponsor, RAA. Okay, time out for a quick PSA. It's open enrollment season again. That once a year window to sign up for changes in your airline benefits, including medical coverage, disability, 401k, and others. Now, this is important because these are pivotal decisions that can significantly impact you and your family's financial future. So this isn't the time to wing it. So do what I do and schedule a free benefits optimization review from our partners at RAA. An airline specialized advisor will go over your plan and help tailor your election so you'll know you're making the best possible decisions for your personal needs and goals and maximizing your airline's benefits to the fullest. But your open enrollment period will fly by. So go to raa.com slash pilot to pilot. That's pilot to pilot to schedule your complimentary benefits review today. While you're there, check out their open enrollment resource center where you'll find videos, articles, and more tools to help guide you through this crucial decision period. Don't miss out. Go to raa.com slash pilot to pilot. That's pilot to pilot. And now back to today's episode. Another guy I flew with in charter, uh, who just recently retired and worked for NASA flying 747 oh, cool. uh, for one of their programs where they were doing the, uh, uh, had a telescope in the 747 huh. doing that. So you're going to meet some really interesting people yeah. in aviation. Boy. And just because you're flying a, uh, citation one, a little bitty jet for a little charter company, doesn't mean you're not going to meet some really interesting people yeah. fly with them. And it also goes on the statement that we made earlier where you don't have to be an airline pilot to have a good career. It's like, who knew that you could fly a 747 for NASA so people can look at a telescope up in the sky? It's like, there are oh, so many things that aviation can do and that require aviation. So it's like, the list is infinite of what aviation provides for jobs-wise. Well, that was his part-time job. His full-time oh, job no. was flying for United. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that guy was living the dream, the true living the, living dream. the dream. Yeah, jeez, yeah. that's so cool. Oh man, I would I would love to fly a seven forty seven, let alone for NASA, so they can do some studies on stars and stuff. That'd be so cool. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah. Absolutely. What was uh, all right? So you we we talked about pre pride didn't even list all the planes that you said and you were going on for a while. But what would you say is your favorite plane that you've flown? My favorite plane would probably be the citation m2 m2 people, all right yeah people ask me all the time and uh i say it's just a it's a pleasure to fly yeah. it's easy to fly you know it's just a it's a nice airplane it what really is, is is that what you're flying right now the m2 or what are you flying right now currently? well that that one's pretty much sold right now okay. unless something happens uh so and, and it's leaving. Uh-huh. There's a very, very high chance right now uh, that it'll be replaced by a Challenger 300. Okay. 
Nice. Yeah. Not too so, shabby of an airplane to get into. No, no. We looked at one and it was just beautiful. Yeah. It was a beautiful plane. Uh, we actually, we looked at a couple, but this last one we looked at was just really nice. And uh, whether I fly or not really depends on what we'll end up doing with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have it for a little bit and use it. And it'll probably eventually go on a lease, yeah. long-term leases. It'll do. All right. So let's kind of you're talking about we and stuff. To what? Uh, so the company you're a part of. Are you what? 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 What is your job? Are you the pilot? Are you kind of like what do you do right now? I should ask. It's complicated. Yeah, sounds complicated. Uh, I'll, I'll try to. Okay, <laughs> dumb it down. I for worked me. for the last ten years for a helicopter company. All right, and helicopter company uh, had about a hundred helicopters around the country. 150 pilots. Uh, but the owner who also was qualified in helicopters was also qualified in fixed wing. And okay. he had always kept a couple of fixed wing airplanes. Uh, and they had a 135 certificate and, um, he would buy and sell airplanes. Yeah. I mean, he had, uh, citation jets. He had King airs and stuff like that. It would be anywhere from two to five, different airplanes at any one time. And while they were sitting, we would also use them on charter. Right. Why not make money uh, off them? Well, absolutely right. Yeah. And eventually, uh, he decided it was time to retire and he sold the company, Mm -hmm. but he kept the, the jets and, uh, he went into a partnership, uh, on another jet with a couple of partners and they didn't have a pilot. So, uh, I fly for that partnership now. That's okay. what I do. But he still pretty much buys and sells airplanes. So that's why in the videos you see the planes that I'm flying changing so much. Yeah. You know, if you look, I don't know how many planes, and a lot of them have been deleted by me. My older, the worst of the worst <laughs> is gone. You know, it was absolute embarrassments. To you, t- you took them off YouTube? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be associated with those anymore. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. But and, and so that's kind of what put me here in this position. Yeah. I'm the only full time pilot. The other guys we use are part time, right. and the frequency of flying goes up and down. Uh, all well, yeah. All three of the partners have other homes. Okay. Uh, so sometimes uh, in the summer. I may spend all my time going back and forth between St. Louis and Lake of the Ozarks. It's yeah. about an 80 mile trip, <laughs> you know, and that's what we use the caravan for. Okay. And sometimes the M2 and, and I've gone there in the Excel also. Yeah. Um, it may depend on what's available Yeah. or how many people are going. What, um, what would you say? How long are you gone per year? Would you say you're gone a lot or is it kind of like on call home every night type stuff? What do you, what's kind of your schedule like? Well, that varies also. There is yeah. no schedule. Yeah. I'm, I'm on call 24 right. 7, basically. And, uh, the, you know, they'll go through these spurts where they do a lot of flying, and then there'll be areas where they slow down, mm-hmm. you know, and you'll see that affect my channel going up and down with the number of videos yeah. I put out. You know, uh, right now we, We've got a lot of stuff going on. I'm actually working on a video. I'm hoping to get out in the next two or three days. Oh, nice. Uh, but if all of a sudden, you know, I get a call and they say, hey, you know, we, we got to do this or we've got a new airplane coming. We got to take care of it, uh, this stuff. That affects everything. Yeah. No, definitely. Flying obviously comes first because, I mean, 
that's the job that pays the money, you know? Right. <laughs> like, and yeah. People will think I've disappeared. Yeah. And, and in a sense, I kind of have, but I'm not gone. Yeah. You know, uh, so I, I'm always pulled back to it when everything slows down. Yeah. And what, what I will do also that people don't realize is I also do Instagram yeah. and I'll do these little live things on Instagram and I'll do Instagram stories and trips yeah. and stuff. And sometimes you'll get these stories on my Instagram that will never be on my YouTube. And sometimes yeah. you get stuff on the YouTube that's not on the Instagram. Oh, for so sure. they really kind of complement each other is what they do. Cool. That's all. I mean, that's a good way to use both those mediums. What, so people are talking or not talking, let's say people kind of hear that pilots are on call all the time. So they kind of like, they kind of just know that that's a thing for corporate. What is kind of talk about like a day in the life of an on-call pilot? Like I know things are very different. You can call it out at any time, but like just say today you wake up, what time do you wake up? If you get called out, like what's kind of the process? How long do you have to get uh, to the airport? Uh, what do you have to do and all that stuff? Okay. Well, let me, okay. It's different. If you're on call or on reserve mm-hmm. for an airline or for a regional that is a very different thing. Right. I mean, you've got specific hours, hours that you're actually oh, yeah. on duty and uh, you've got a time from the call to the time you have to be at the airport. Uh, with this job, I don't. Mm-hmm. You know, I just know that at any time something can come up and they may need to go somewhere. And normally I get substantial notice. Mm-hmm. But occasionally something happens and you know, either we can do it or we can't. And let's say, you know, this evening I'm, uh, after dinner, I'm having a glass of wine with my wife and they call and say, Hey, we need to get down to, uh, Jacksonville right away. You know, I'll say, Hey, let me sober up my co-pilot. Yeah. You know, <laughs> no, I'm just yeah. kidding. Throw I, him I, under I the bus. Yeah. yeah. I'll say, look, I, I just had a glass of wine. I yeah. wish I had known. But, and it's not something that I'm going to get punished for. Right. Uh, yeah. So, but like I said, I usually have a good feel of what's going on and what you can do. And they, they tend to be very uh, respectful also, yeah. you know, in that sense and let you know ahead of time what's going on. But with, you know, with people, you know, things suddenly come up that they had no idea about, yeah. you know, going to happen. Life happens. Okay. Yeah, life happens. Yeah, life happens, definitely. And you're, you're the driver. Yeah. So, so you're, you're a tool that they use to, to further their business or to further themselves personally or to, you're, you're the Uber driver of the sky essentially sometimes. You know, you're just, yeah, that's, that's yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's nice that they give you a notice because a lot of places won't do that. A lot of places are like, hey, we need you now. Come on out. It's like, mm-hmm. I had a beer. It's like, oh, sorry, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> next guy, yeah. next man up, you know, it's that type of thing. So that, That's right. But uh, most places will let you know ahead of time what the rules of the game are. Yeah. And if they don't, you need to talk to them about that. Yeah, you definitely need to establish rules if you're getting into the on-call world because... Right. If you have similar expectations and you know what to expect, then there's no reason for you to be drinking when you think you should get called out type deal. So right. definitely, right. definitely establish those. Yeah. And I've never had that situation happen mm-hmm. uh, where I've had situations happen uh, where we couldn't meet a sudden pop up was uh, that I'm either flying one of the other airplanes yeah. <laughs> and hey, I'm dropping so-and-so off right now. Uh, in Florida, yeah. you know, as soon as I get back, you know, I'd be happy to do that. Um, stuff like that, you know. 
as soon as I get back, get some sleep, I'll be happy to come pick you up. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. All right. So, but, you know, if, if, if I was going to say what they tend to do then is uh, look seriously at the airlines. Yeah. Because in a practical sense, if if you're in Southern Florida and they just want to go over to Kansas City and it's early in the morning, they can probably get a flight. Yeah. You know, relatively cheap then too, yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. So you mentioned earlier you flew for the regionals and now you fly kind of corporate charter life. We'll talk mm-hmm. a little bit about the well, benefits. Well, the charter's over. This, we, we no longer are okay. on charter. So you're just doing yeah. a corporate, essentially, on-cost type right. stuff. Right. So talk a little bit about the benefits and the pros and cons of regional, pros and cons of corporate, and then talk about why. I know you talked about you you quit the regional because they moved their domicile, which happens a lot. But are there any other reason? Would you have stayed on with the regional and followed the airlines the whole way if they didn't move their domicile? Kind of talk about the reason why you you kind of switched over to the the corporate life. Well, now one of my issues is, which ends up being an issue with airlines, uh, major airlines is my age, Mm -hmm. you know, because it used to be you had to retire at 60. Right. So you had to look at that time frame of how long you would be there and doing that. Uh, And at at some point it's not worth it unless you're just going to do it. So you could say you, you did it. But I always had an opportunity uh, that I was able to take advantage of yeah. there. But, you know, there are definitely advantages to the airlines. You know, you get a set schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for some people, that's really important. Uh, and you get regular pay raises and you get eventually, you know, a higher uh, income. What happens with corporate guys and charter guys, and this is just my opinion, is you can start off making more money with the airline and you kind of get hooked into that. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to go back in the other direction and take a pay cut and then to start building back towards the higher pay. Right. And so you're you saying, I think you, you're saying that you make more money right away at corporate. You're saying, I think it's possible. Not yeah. everybody does, but it's right. possible. And it's hard yes. to step away from that money because you take such a drastic pay cut. That's kind of what you're going right. to. Okay. Right. Yeah. Now that was in the past. I think it's changing now. Yeah. Uh, because of the fact that there are fewer and fewer pilots and they have to immediately compete to hire yeah. guys because I'm getting stuff in the mail now, like $20,000 signing bonuses yeah. for regional airline and stuff like that. That was unheard of. Absolutely. Yeah, it's getting to the point now where a lot of mom and pop kind of 135 operations can't afford to pay the pilots what they need to pay to keep them from going to the airlines. Because exactly what we said, the corporate places were able to pay a better first year salary, second year salary. And they kind of get them hooked on living like, hey, you're making 80 grand as a pilot. I don't know how much 60 grand as a pilot, but you're not going to go to the regionals and make 18 grand. So like we have you now. But now now they've bridged that gap the airlines have. So it's going to be harder for the 135 guys, the smaller companies, or even some bigger companies to keep up with that. Yeah. And, and there's another thing that kind of, because really at some point what happens with a lot of people is you go in one of two directions. You either go to the airlines or you go to the corporate charter directions. Mm-hmm. And in the past, those two worlds didn't really cross over very much at all. Mm-hmm. Once you had gone down that road, you didn't see guys going back and forth. And the other thing about doing the charter corporate thing is it can be very interesting. Yeah. You're much closer to the people that own the business. You're going to places you would never go in the airlines yeah. and you are being treated 
in a different way. Uh, and I say there are exceptions to everything, but uh, I mean, you're eating in nice restaurants, you're staying in nice places. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're you'll probably know the president of the company uh, on a first name basis with him. It's yeah. a very different atmosphere Definitely. Uh, than the airlines because on the airlines, you're doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. And when I was flying for TM Express, like we'd fly these routes and without even trying, you would end up memorizing all the frequencies because you were doing the same routes over <laughs> and over. Not only that, we were staying in the same hotels yeah. in the very same room. With the same bed bugs. Yeah. Yeah, the same bed bugs, that's right. Even yeah. the same Cheerios yeah. at five in the morning. Uh, yeah. Instead of having, you know, a, a nice breakfast. It's and, like Groundhog's Day. Yeah. Uh, like Mike and I, who I fly with a lot, if we go to Vegas, you know, we'll see if we can't do something on a day where we're not flying. Like mm-hmm. go hiking or go out and do different things, go to a museum or something. We do a lot of that. And it's that's much more difficult to do uh, with the airlines. Because and for the other thing is, you're flying for a different person every single time. Yeah. You know, almost every time. Um, it takes a while till you cycle back around and end up with somebody that you've flied with previously. Yeah. So it's not like uh, you're out there with a buddy of yours you've known for years and say, hey, let's go do this, you know? Yeah. Well, that kind of goes to the expectations of what you expect the pilot to do. Cause every pilot's different, you know, like if you fly for, in your case, you fly with Mike over and over again, you know, you can count on Mike to do the same thing at the same time and it's preloaded or everything's there. But if you're flying with a new oh, person every time, it creates a, a new dynamic where you're kind of feeling out like the first couple of days or the first couple of flights, you're like, uh, what's this guy like? Like, can he fly? Can he land? You know, his first landing, you know, you're kind of perked up a little bit, your hands closer to the yoke. You're like, all right, if I got to take over and save the day, I'm here. But when you got your buddy flying with you, who you know, and who you can trust you're kind of i don't want to say complacent because you're probably still like on top of things but you're you're more relaxed you know you're more like there's a lot of truth to that yeah 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 and and that's really standardization is Mm -hmm. so important and the airlines have absolutely excelled at that but it's still very important in the corporate world uh yeah because of you know flying somebody one day that you've never met before yeah you don't know, you don't know anything about them. You don't know the backstory, but the airlines or even some bigger corporate companies that have a huge compa- compilation of pilots, they have set standards essentially. It's not like a wild, wild, wild west where they're cowboys flying like crazy, but like they have the set standards, SOPs. So you should expect everything, but still everyone does something different. There's a lot of straying from SOPs and even bigger airlines. I would, I would assume it's just, it's just how it is. Is people fly the way that they always were taught to fly, you know? That's right. I mean, you fly like your first instructor. Yeah. In yeah, a sense. For sure. You know, as far as the basics, you know, what, one thing I thought about when I was instructing was because uh, I ended up, you know, actually probably several hundred people, you know, getting them their certificate and thinking, oh, those are like little mini me's out there running around <laughs> in the aviation world. Little you Captain know? Moonbeams, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Do, that's do like, they all have flight vlogs? Do they all record <laughs> everything? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Let's hope not. <laughs> yeah, no, right. That's hilarious. Yeah. No, I mean, it's true. I, I've talked about that before on the podcast. It's when I've always said that when you're an instructor, it's very important how serious you take it because you are pretty much handing over this new person. You're teaching them how to fly. They're going to embody what you do, how you operate, how you think, how you kind of interact with other people, how you just associate yourself with aviation. They're the ones that kind of plant that seed in your head. And however they teach you, it's going to take you a long time to unteach that. 
you know? So well, that is absolutely right. Yeah. Because that's primacy right there. Yeah. The first thing you learn, you learn that learning goes the deepest. Yeah. It's hard to replace. It is. So it's very important. And I have, I found, I saw this on Twitter. I don't remember who tweeted this or who said it, but they said, spend the extra money when you're first learning how to fly to try out some different instructors to really get a feel for what their personalities are like, for what their flying tendencies are like, because that can help you in the long run. Where if you say you just go to flight school and you accept whoever they want you to fly with, then you might get stuck with a bad instructor and you might have a bad outlook in aviation. But if you can spend a couple of extra hundred dollars and try out one or two instructors, then you can find one that can truly teach you and you could learn from the best essentially. Well, that's, you know, that's not such a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of kind of what the 141 schools do a little bit mm-hmm. is they'll have you fly with other instructors uh, as you go up uh, yeah. through the certificates. Um, yeah, that, that, that's interesting because, you know, and I saw this a lot when I was instructing. You get these people uh, that have gotten their instructor certificates strictly to build time and get to the airlines it's yeah. just a stepping stone that's their goal that's how they treat it yeah and most people okay they still took it very seriously uh and were very good to work with and were professionals even though they eventually know some of this but you would occasionally get a guy every now and then uh who was resentful that they had to do that and had a bad attitude to tell you right in front i'm only doing this till i become a captain on that 747 absolutely i hate this i'm not you know yeah and and that's the kind of instructor you need to get away from absolutely run as far away as possible yeah yeah and and i'm not talking about the guy who say oh yeah yeah i'm working on my career i want to eventually go to to the airlines uh I'm talking about the guy who is extreme about it and resentful yeah. about it because a lot of the other people, they treat that part of their career just as seriously as any other part. And you can learn from them and, you know, have a buddy years later that you have flown with. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, my instructors, I'm all still friends with, I've had great relationships with my instructors and it's really cool. Kind of how you said to see all the people you instructed to see where they're going, see all the little cat, the moonbeams around getting their jobs and flying for the airlines. And then I'm sure my instructors feel the same way. It's like, man, this kid actually made something with his life. Like I can't believe after, yeah. he, after he almost put me in a spin and a, and a power on stall, he's actually, he knows how to fly a plane. Would you look at that? Oh yeah. 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 I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's funny. Because anybody that's starting out with this, you know, you got to give yourself a little forgiveness every mm-hmm. now and then because you are going to make those mistakes. Yeah, it's normal. You know, you're you're going to do something and think, oh, that was so dumb. I can't believe that. Uh, you know, get over it. Put it yeah. behind you and learn from it. Yeah, that's all you can do. Flying is all about learning from your mistakes. You're going to make mistakes and you can't dwell on them. Hey, you just have to continue to, to learn from them and kind of push yourself. You know, if there's Absolutely a crosswind, right. the only way you're going to learn how to perfect, or I say perfection with quotation marks around it, because there's no perfect landing or anything or a perfected technique. But the only way you're going to be more comfortable in those situations is by going up and flying. And it might be requiring you to go up with a, a CFI to come help on, help you with your technique, technique and crosswinds, but just something you got to do. Absolutely right. Yeah. Absolutely right. Yep. Well, let's talk about Captain Moonbeam. Why the name? Why the channel? Why the videos? Kind of what's your inspiration behind that? It's, it's not what you would think yeah. it would be. Uh, it started probably over 10 years ago. Okay. Uh, so you were the original daughter, vlogger then? <laughs> well, I wasn't the yeah. original, but it was yeah. way back when I started. Yeah. And uh, I had, was really curious about YouTube because I've watched a lot of stuff on it, I found it really interesting uh, about how to do it, how to yeah. make it 
And uh, we had gotten, uh, as a Christmas gift for my in-laws one year, a digital camera. And I loved it. I just started taking thousands of pictures. Yeah. Just loved it. And it would take these little, I think it was 240 by 360 uh, short videos. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started making little videos. And I thought, I'm going to see if I can put something up there. And my daughter and I made a, uh, did this little duet. I think the first one was an Elton John song. No way. And, oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, I was not expecting you this to go that <laughs> And then we did some Christmas carols also. Are these on uh, YouTube still or did you take these down? They are, but I think it was another channel. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. But I can't, I can't remember the password to the other channel. No. <laughs> I just but, uh, so we put it up there for, uh, relatives, yeah. basically out of town relatives. And, uh, then I, I decided, okay, I'm going to put some other stuff up and made this really a, a kind of a copy of the original channel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was Captain Moonbeam and we put the, uh, I think originally we had put the Christmas stuff up there and then I put some like 15 second clips, uh, looking out the front of the airplane for landings. Oh, wow. And we, we put maybe five or six videos up there mm-hmm. and then I forgot about it. <laughs> about six months later, I got a email from Google and Google said, would you be interested in monetizing your videos? <laughs> I had no idea what they were talking about. Yeah. So I monetize monopoly. <laughs> I couldn't even find the uh, password. I finally found the password for the, That's hilarious. the channel. Yeah. But the Captain Moody thing was just a whimsical thing. Yeah. You know, when we were doing this and I went in and each of these little 15 second videos had like 10,000 views. Uh, there were Falcons, Falcon fifties, Falcon twenties that had flown. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think maybe there was a citation, some sort of a citation in there. And I thought, wow. I said, okay, sure. And you know, after a couple of weeks, I made a penny. <laughs> and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm rich. It's proof of concept. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I, that's not why I was doing it. I just, yeah. I just spoke about that. What I, I did it because I wanted to share. Yeah. But at that point, I realized people were interested in it, yeah. and I was very interested in it. So I started sharing more and more uh, different landings, and for and then would go on vacation. I put some videos up, some cruises, and stuff mm-hmm. like different things, and. There was really no organization to it. There was no real direction. Well, and then my wife started pushing me. Said, "You know, I can't watch another landing because I always get her to watch." What do you think? What do you think? <laughs> yeah. yeah, please don't do You're that. You're putting me to sleep. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. She said, "This is not what people want to see." I'm saying, yeah. I'm saying "What are you talking about? People want to see airplanes. Everybody yeah. wants airplanes." She said, "No, they want to see you." Uh, I said, no, they don't. And, <laughs> Why do they uh, want to see me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they can see an airplane. There's a beautiful plane, a great landing there. And uh, so I kind of messed around and put myself in it. And when I did that, it was really kind of a surprise because I actually got more viewers. Oh, wow. And she was right. That's kind of how the whole, she was right, yeah. which was a shock to me. I never even considered that in all of this. Yeah. And I still uh, have to force myself to put myself in the videos yeah. uh, because it's not, you know, it's not a comfortable thing just no, to pull out not. the camera and put it in front of your face yeah. 
and just people are looking at you weird. It's like I took a, a selfie in the airport from LaGuardia because I was wearing one of my pilot pilot shirts and I just felt so uncomfortable taking that picture of myself. It's like I feel like people are judging me, like no one's gonna like this. It's like, why do I do this? <laughs> but no, oh, yeah. it's very uncomfortable. I, I know what you mean. And sometimes what I will do. Uh, because I can find myself every now and then starting to slip away from having myself in there. Yeah. And then I will give myself, okay, for every image I take, and, and I do this with Instagram also, mm-hmm. uh, if I put up two or three pictures on Instagram without a human being in it, <laughs> I've got to put up myself or somebody yeah. else so that it's not just uh, stuff because that was the kind of person I was when I took the first videos, the first pictures, I took pictures of landscapes, of airplanes, yeah. of stuff. And that's not what people really want to see. Uh, so that was a learning experience on my part. You know, I'm still learning that because I'm similar to you is like, I don't like being the center of attention. Like, yeah, okay. I have a podcast. I like to talk about aviation, but I very rarely kind of talk about my story. I very rarely open up myself just because I mean, it's a very vulnerable thing. You know, it's like when I started this podcast, I sat on it for a year. My wife, I don't know if you know the history. A lot of people do, but my wife's like, all right, you're playing too many video games. You need to do something that benefits other people, benefits your time. And I was just afraid of it. I was afraid of what people would think. I was afraid of what people would say, my friends. And it's like, once you do it and then it starts taking off, starts doing better, it just gets easier and easier. And you're like, man, I wish I would have done that a year ago. So it's kind of like with the vulnerability part for anyone that wants to create anything or even put themselves out there. It's just do it now. Just go for it. It's like you said, it's like you never know what people want to see and what they'll get out of your content. Yeah, I, 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 she is absolutely right, you know, to push you to do that. Yeah. Uh, because unless you're and I've, I've got a friend that makes a living off doing video games mm-hmm. and in a sense, that's him sharing the experience with other people. Because yeah. I think it's so much more rewarding to actually share the experience uh, so that other people can vicariously uh, live that experience through you. And Absolutely. Uh, you know, the thing is, you, you said something, and this is where I'm a little bit different, because people can be pretty harsh. Uh, and they'll say, oh, yeah, you know, you're the ugliest... <laughs> You know, raccoon I've ever seen out there. You People know, are mean. Like Straight up I mean. Uh, I can absolutely care less. That just does not in any way um, affect me. It's like, yeah, okay. I've got gray hair. Yeah, I've got wrinkles, you know. But I'm proud of them. They're yeah. from experience and all this. And, uh, you know, if you don't like it, that's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. You know, there's lots of other stuff to watch. Uh, I hope that, you know, I put something up that other people enjoy. Yeah, but no, I just I don't let that stuff bother me. And I think... It's hard not to. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Yeah. It really is. Uh, and I think what other people have, from what I've noticed... Uh, on the internet, just a little digression here. Uh, some people have a really tough time. I feel for them uh, and get involved in these discussions with people that are just tearing them up. Yeah. Which I don't get why you would do that. No, not at all. Especially yeah. when you're offering free content for people to, to watch and to see for everyone to enjoy. And it's just like, why Absolutely. take it dark? Yeah. It's like, well, I'm just here to, to, to shine light on this amazing career that I have and offer someone a chance to see what it's like to fly these type of planes. So yeah, it's like, yeah, what's this need of value for? For yeah. 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 And I, I think some people, uh, speaking of value for nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I do make a little money off the, um, uh, 
because I want to talk to this. I, mm-hmm. and this to me, this is important. I do make some money off the ads. I do make some money off the Patreon. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a lot. Uh, the Patreon, uh, I appreciate everybody doing that. Uh, but I had uh, an experience in our family uh, with an older person who was sending out her money to anybody that did a, a promotion or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And I've always had this fear with the Patreon that there would be somebody that joined it that started sending right. more than they should yeah. uh, for their situation. Uh, so I, I've really got this kind of odd relationship with it. I appreciate it. Don't yeah. wrong. I always worry though about that person behind the screen that may be getting older and may not be thinking it through that starts sending something that they really need. No, I definitely agree with you. When I yeah. first started, I have a Patreon too. When I first started Patreon, I was kind of against it because I didn't want people to think I wanted to take advantage of it. You know, it's like, yeah. I, I didn't want people to think that I'll only do the podcast if someone pays me to do the podcast. I'm only here to make money, which I'm not. I'm here to create content. But one of my friends and a kind of person that kind of helped me out and kind of talked to me a lot, it was Stabilizer Motion for Instagram. He kind of had a big Instagram following. And he was kind of like, no, man, these people want to to give back for what you're giving back to the community. They want to give you something for your podcast because they love it so much and they appreciate it. And once I kind of wrapped my mind around that and that it wasn't me necessarily like wanting their money, it was them saying like, hey, man, great job. I appreciate what you do like that really helped me out with patreon and i kind of came to the same conclusion also you know uh because i i actually contribute to other patreons mm-hmm. also uh and the ones that i contribute to uh are musicians mm-hmm. you know people whose music i've used and yeah. stuff like that <laughs> so uh that's a a benefit that you get from them and it benefits other people. And I'm thinking, you know, I need to support them also for sure. You know, that's a really important thing to support artists so that they can continue to put out things that I agree a hundred percent people really enjoy. But I would also without that and without the AdSense, I would still do this. Yeah. It's fun. I'm not doing it for it. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. So I asked my followers if they had any questions for you. And I have a couple, I think I have three so far that were worthwhile of asking. (laughs) Some of them, as you know, internet trolls, but one of them is from Mackenzie Luke 32. And it says, how long do you see yourself flying professionally? You know, that's a really good question. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. And this is the one thing that's different in this industry. Uh, In the airlines, you had to retire at 60 originally as a captain. And you could stay on as a flight engineer until you were 65. But as a pilot, you were done at 60. Right. Then the law changed and you can fly till you're 65. That's where it currently is with the airlines. At 65, you're done. Yeah. It's Checkmate, you're out. Yeah. Yes. Uh, when I started in this industry uh, down in Arkansas, one of the captains I flew with was 81 years old. I flew as his co-pilot in a Baron and a King Air, and he did a great job. Uh, he eventually lost his medical. He was uh, golfing at the uh, Little Rock Air Force Base in the middle of August, the middle of the afternoon, and he mm-hmm. fainted. 
Oh, no. When he came to, his buddy was there next to him and said, oh, don't worry, I called an ambulance. And he was saying, oh, no, why'd you do that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he ended up losing his medical. Why'd you try to save my life? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> now I can't fly. Don't you know what you've done? <laughs> that, no, that's absolutely right. That's yeah. what And he is, would yeah. come out and have lunch with us all the time saying, I'm, I'm working on getting that medical back. Yeah. You know? And uh, so the point here is, some places have a mandatory retirement at a certain age. Yeah. There are a lot of these companies, though, that there is no mandatory retirement. And if you're competent and you're somebody, they still won't yeah. keep working there. Yep. And I've worked at a number of companies like that. And I, I see it all over the place. I met a guy. He, you know, I forgot about this. Out of Kansas City. And he was older than 81. Oh, wow. And he was still instructing, teaching at ground school, and flying a jet for another company. Dang, good for him. And he had a sports car out there. <laughs> he was loving life. There are some guys right. that just don't want to get rid of it, you know? It's like, I don't know if they got into it later or if it's what they've always done. It's like, hey, if I'm 82, if I'm still in good health, if my mind is still there, why not? Why not go teach? That, that, that's absolutely right. Yeah. Why, why waste it? And it's important to have a purpose. Yeah. yeah and that good. gives you... Some people, that's their purpose. Uh, but you got to be careful because if all of a sudden you can't fly and you lose your purpose, then what do you do? Yeah. So I think it's important to also have a purpose outside of aviation. Oh, I 100% because, agree. Yeah. Yeah. If I lost my medical, I would still be involved in aviation. Things. I'd yeah. be in aviation. Uh, I'd probably, you know, travel in my truck yeah. with my wife. We've got a little two-person trailer. I make videos of that. Nice. And that sharing, you know, is a is a type of purpose also. Yeah, for so, sure. Yeah. All right. I got another one for you. This one is from The Jimmer. And we kind of talked about this earlier. It says, I've seen him fly maybe four different aircraft types. Which is the most and least favorite? So if you had to choose one that you love the most, which we already talked about, but you can say it again, <sighs> and choose your least favorite. I have a least favorite, Uh-oh. but I hate <laughs> to say, because, you know, I, somebody put a lot of time and money into creating an airplane. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. So I hate to really trash an airplane. Well, I want to say necessarily trashing an airplane. It's just kind of like where you rank it in the planes that you have flown. You know, it's like, you can't help if another plane is better than that plane. Well, or- part of the problem was the airplane did not really fit our missions. And I'll tell you what it was. It was, it was the Mustang. Okay. Which is a little four seat airplane, a jet. Yeah, a little uh, tiny jet. <laughs> I think the smallest jet they've ever made. Yeah. And it just did not fit our missions at all. Okay. I don't know why. Um, I, well, he, I'm sure he got a good deal, and that's why he bought it. Right. He had it for about a year and eventually sold it. Because okay. uh, so often we carry more than four and go longer ranges and stuff. <clears throat> I've always said that jet is perfect for a businessman that's operating a region yeah. within a region like the West or something like that. Uh, and he's always traveling with two or three business associates or something like that. Yeah. But like I said, it just didn't fit our mission. Uh, and like I said, my favorite then again is the citation M2. Mm-hmm. You know? So uh, that plane was absolutely just a pleasure to fly. And the reason he decided to get rid of it was uh, he decided that he wanted to start going further with more people. Okay. Uh, 
So it reaches limitations. You love the plane for the mission that it can offer, but you wanted to kind of a bigger, better, and faster, essentially. Right. Right. Yeah. Yep. Perfect. All right. I like this question a lot. And I don't know if I'll be able to say the username right, but it's aviator.diaguno. <laughs> He'll know who he is when he hears it. It says, what's something you would tell young aviators to stay away from when trying to build time? This is a very good question. It is. Because I, I'll, I'll tell you a story. And I'm glad you're answering it, not me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and um, years ago, when I was working as an instructor, uh, there was another instructor there, a young guy who had gotten a job in, I'm not even sure what kind of airplane it was. It was mm-hmm. a jet. I'll tell you that. It was a jet in the right seat. And uh, the guy that he was flying with uh, was very hard to get along with. And uh, he'd say, oh, you know, oh, he, he's doing this, he's doing that. He's, I just can't believe this and that. And uh, he was thinking, I just got to build some jet time. I got to build some jet time and move on. And he'd say, oh, yeah, you know, he was making me cry and all this stuff, you know. Oh, my gosh. And, and nobody really just saw it as, you know, hyperbole, exaggeration. Yeah. And uh, so eventually uh, he moved on. And he asked me, he said, this guy asked me to find somebody else to replace me. Are you interested in doing it? I said, oh, yeah, flying a jet, sure, yeah. And he said, no, you need to think about this because he can be really hard to work with. And I thought, you know what? I can put up with anything. And uh, so I did it. And uh, this guy, this person, uh was very difficult to work for. Mm-hmm. It was not a crew concept at all. Yeah. And I feel like he was intentionally trying, I felt like he was intentionally trying to sabotage me. Wow. Uh, so that he didn't look so bad. He looked better. Oh my gosh. In front of the people. It was a weird situation. Yeah. And, uh, so, but he didn't get to me like he did the other guy. Right. That probably made him yeah. more mad that he didn't get under your skin. It, yeah. it made it get worse and worse. And finally, and this is really kind of the funny part about it. <laughs> uh, he sworn, he called up the other guy and told him, uh, yeah, this is just not working out. I want you to call Jim and tell him that it's oh my gosh. Yeah, it was a part-time thing. Yeah. It, it was like only $125 a day flying it in the rest Jeez. of the jet. And uh, so he calls me up. He says, "Hey, you know, he. I was just talked to him. He's. He just told me he wants me to call you." And I said, "You know what? That says everything right there that yeah. he doesn't have the kahunas to call me himself." Yep. You know. But what I learned from this was, uh, and, and I'm not going into details because I told you, TLG, you, you know, you just like what the yeah. heck. Well, I wish yeah. people could see the way your face changed when you talked about him. I wish I was recording this video because, like, your face got so serious and was like, I yeah. did not like this guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but there's, really fun, there's something really funny about this coming later. Okay, so he was telling this guy, yeah, I didn't have what it took to be a pilot. You oh know, I didn't gosh. think I should be a pilot yeah. and stuff like that. So uh, I, I, I thought, oh, well, this is, this is just fine because, you know, this was not going anywhere needed to go right and uh, what I learned from this lesson was not every job 
is worth taking. Right. Sometimes you're better off to keep looking. And that's hard to know? do when you're a young it's pilot because you need hard. time. You need quality time. It's like for me, right. I jumped, I wasn't a CFI, but I jumped in the aerial survey world and I flew some really poor condition airplanes because I didn't know any better. And I just like, I got right. my time. Everyone else went there. It's like, we, they built their time. They were fine. Of course, I'm flying a 206, lose the engine over the mountains in West Virginia and I land on a mountain. <laughs> it's like, it happened to me, <laughs> but it's like what you said. It's kind of like what you said. It's like, I mean, when you're young, you're very vulnerable to, uh, to building time and what people now. say. Yeah, yeah, I have great stories to tell, but it's not like I shouldn't have had to experience that. No one else should have oh. to experience that. But it was all, I, I that. Yeah, it was yeah. all building time. It was all, what do you have to do to build time? You know, you're kind of, for lack of a better word, you're just like putting yourself out. Yeah, you're just putting yourself out there to build time and you expose yourself to things you shouldn't expose yourself. So you need to try to be smart because I mean, the end, end of the day, your life's not worth that that time that you're building you know your family needs you home you don't need to put yourself in that bad situation so definitely take a step back and look at it yeah oh but i gotta finish this story oh, you're God. gonna love this part <laughs> of it. so years later yeah uh i met uh i think it was maybe it was semi-flight uh doing a recurrent at a gulf stream okay and i ran across the guy and we talked for a minute, and uh, at that time, I was director of operations for a company that had uh, Gulf Streams, Citation 650s, mm-hmm. and uh, CJs. Nice. You know, and he was telling me, oh, yeah, you know, uh, I had to leave the other company for some I never, it was very unclear, but apparently in the separation, they had paid for a recurrent in a Learjet Mm -hmm. and that's what he was there for and he said here oh yeah yeah you know uh, if you need anybody here's my resume and uh, and I I said I was polite well thanks appreciate it good luck all that then the next day uh, I don't know what happened but I saw him being removed from the class oh no (laughs) oh yeah yeah I don't don't know what happened what the situation was whether it was payment or what but it was not looked like they weren't having a pleasant conversation and uh so that's how that ended you know with him (laughs) asking me for a job after all that and so so here's something to keep in mind also if you're one of those guys or anybody aviation is a small industry relatively where a lot of people know everybody else you need if if you, you need to be very careful about giving somebody a hard time unnecessarily right agreed if you can solve it in any other way do that because it comes back well let's say this this is so say you're building your time you were very thankful for the job that you had it's run its course so you have your time you're ready to apply you might even have a job already and you're on your two weeks notice and you're fed up you know it's like it is not worth you getting upset causing a scene becoming just a monstrous person that doesn't want to do anything for because you know you're moving on you know you're at your next goal so you're finally going to tell them what you didn't like about the job what you thought they could have done better how you're the best it is not worth it because that guy probably has so many connections he's probably helped out so many pilots or had so many pilots work for him that had a good experience and then when he goes to like say you get hired by another corporate job and he knows the guy that flies the, that's on the, the board or flies the plane and he calls him and be like hey you're from your new pilot just yelled at me and told me how bad my operation 
operation is. And the guy's like, well, I don't want that around me. And then you get fired. It is not worth it at all. It's like, keep your mouth shut and just say, thank you. I appreciate the time. And I appreciate you. Let me fly this beautiful plane around. (laughs) Even if you had to lose an engine and land on a 206 and a, or land on a 206 (laughs) in a mountain. It's like, thank you so much for that opportunity. I really appreciate it. I am very thankful for this. And now I am moving on. It's like just P's and Q's be nice. Yeah. Yeah, if you can be nice to people, yeah. that's the way to go. Exactly. You know, and, and I don't have anything to prove. No, no. You know, so there, I don't have any reason to beat up on anybody. Uh, you know, some people may just be having a bad day or something. Yeah, that's true. You, know, you don't know. All right. Well, you have made it almost to the end of the podcast. I have one more thing for you. It is the okay. rapid fire section. And you just say the first thing that comes to your mind. I'm asking you very simple kind of aviation related questions. They're not hard questions. They're just kind of like, what's your favorite food at an airport? That kind of stuff. You ready? Okay. All right. Yes. So you are connecting at an airport and you are starving. You have about like 30 minutes to get some food. What is your go-to airport food? Cheeseburger. Okay. What's your favorite FBO to go to? I don't have a favorite. Okay. What is your favorite? What do you like in FBOs? What kind of makes a good FBO? Like snacks, the recliners that they have for you to oh, take a okay. nap. Okay. Well, I will tell you what I don't like in FBO. Yeah. There we go. Let's do that. This is a, this is if you work at FBO, you need to listen to this. When we <laughs> have a rental up. car, do not bring the cruise rental car to the aircraft before the passengers leave. There you go. Okay. You don't know how many times I've had our, our rental car brought to the airplane right by the door. And the passengers from all cars nowhere inside. Oh, <laughs> bye guys. <laughs> we'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> Sucks to be you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's funny. No, I mean that's definitely true. All right, what's your favorite airport you land that you've ever landed at? My favorite airport. Uh, I like my home airport. Okay. Yeah. What's your least favorite airport if you have one? My least favorite airport would probably be. Aspen. Oh. <laughs> I don't have it an is. issue with Eagle more as Aspen because it's just just unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, like, it, yeah, it is. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with the people. The no. facilities great. The people are great and all that. Yeah. Uh, but it seems like weather is always an issue. Yeah. Like, always and then the seven degree glide slope it's like it's just not necessary <laughs> oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and then, then you get on the ground in the yeah. winter time there's no place to put your airplane in no. or something yeah no because uh, space is covered yeah. ice yep it's crazy what is the most challenging approach that you've flown the most challenging approach would be going into eagle okay let's say are you android or iphone guy android oh microsoft or or pc or mac PC. Nice. Look at that. The software guy loves the PCs and the Android. <laughs> yeah. If you could fly over anything, would you rather fly over the ocean, the beach, the country, or the mountains? The beach. Okay. And let's see. What else do I have? What's your favorite airline? Southwest. What's your favorite airline livery? Hmm. That's a tough one. Uh, it would probably be 1960s Delta. Okay. Piper or Cessna? Cessna. All right. Let's see. Mm-hmm. What is the ugliest plane you've ever seen? The ugliest plane? Yeah. <laughs> I've seen some pretty ugly airplanes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ugliest airplane I have recently seen was a uh, Challenger in the islands. And the paint was so horrible, it, it made me nauseous. <laughs> That's it funny. was, I, I kid you not, it was the color of vomit. It oh, was wow. like, oh, 
Yeah, it's pretty bad. Let's see. Um, I had a, I had one off the top of my head, and I can't think of it anymore. So I just asked, what's the ugliest airplane? What is... Oh, oh well, I'll end it there. That's all I can think of right now. So, <laughs> Jim, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I truly appreciate... Oh, I found it. I figured it out. Who is an aviation influencer or creator that you've always wanted to either collab with or meet? I've got a couple of them. Yeah. I, I find uh, Steve Okinivo mm-hmm. interesting, and I find uh, Flight Chops interesting. Okay. And uh, there are probably a couple of others that just aren't coming to mind right now. Uh, what I would like to do would be to run across them in an FBO. That'd be cool. And do an instant collaboration right yeah. there. Because actually coordinating something else because of their work schedule and mine yeah, uh, it's hard. very, very difficult. Very difficult. Yes. But I think they'd be a lot of fun to fly with. Yeah. It'd be for interesting. Sure. Well, perfect. Those are actually all the questions I have now for you. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for kind of sharing your journey today and kind of talking about more about you and more about your story. I think that people will really appreciate it. And shout out to, I don't know if you follow him on Instagram, but it's, it's Deuce19. He's been begging me to have you on. So it's finally here. Oh, I'll, I'll have to go check you uh, out. I'll message you as, I'll message you as, uh, I'll message you his username. He'll freak oh, okay. out if you send him a message and say hi. <laughs> he said okay. that he will, he's got a decent amount of followers. He just loves you he said that if i don't get you on the podcast to stop listening so he threatened me oh okay good good. yeah Yeah, i know right but i appreciate you coming on i think people really appreciate your story and kind of hear your background and find out more about you so uh i I appreciate it it. yeah yeah i appreciate the invitation no problem yeah hopefully we'll have you on again sometime soon i'd be happy to perfect absolutely all right well thank you i appreciate it i hope you have a great day so you're welcome and uh, fly safe out there thank you i appreciate it Aviation, that's a wrap on today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Sorry if there's some car noise going on. Like I said, I'm driving Emmett to the doctor, but I hope everyone's having a great day. And as always, happy flying.